The fruit of the Spirit is what happens when the Holy Spirit indwells a believer. The fruit is the product of the Holy Spirit's cultivation of character in a heart. The second characteristic listed is joy. Joy expresses God's kingdom, His influence on earth. The Spirit's production of joy can manifest in several different ways. The joy of deliverance, the joy of salvation, the joy of spiritual maturity, the joy of God's presence. The Greek word for joy is kara and is closely related to charis, which means grace or a gift. Kara is the normal response to charis. We have joy because of God's grace. The next step in the progression is to allow our joy to become an action as we express it. Well, good morning, everybody. And I pray that you're having a great summer. It's a hot one today, so you've come to the right place. Got lots of good air conditioning, and it's free of charge. So uh, we are looking at the fruit of the Spirit. Last week, I began by sharing with you uh, how pilots use checklists so that they minimize the risk of, of accidents, danger, and that sort of thing. And... Uh, Surgeons actually have taken a page out of the pilot's checklist book, and they have developed that for themselves as well. And you can imagine how, how complicated, how difficult surgery is and medical procedures. So I don't know about you, but when, when I have somebody, a doctor operating on me, I want to make sure he gets it right every single time. And everybody said? Amen. Yeah, that's right. So Dr. Atul Gawande, he helped develop a checklist for surgery, which was trialed in eight different hospitals around the world. And here's what they discovered. They said because they used checklists, serious complications following surgery decreased by 37%. It's incredible, the power of a checklist. And furthermore, deaths from surgery decreased by 47%. Dr. Gawande goes on to tell how Dr. Pronovos discovered in a study of 100 Michigan hospitals, that 30% of the time, surgical teams skipped one of these five essential steps. They either forgot to wash their hands, if you could believe that. They would uh, may forget to clean the site. They forgot to drape the patient properly. They forgot to put on hat, gloves, and gown, or they forgot to apply a sterile dressing. Well, after 18 months of using this doctor's simple checklist, the hospitals cut their infection rate by 4% of cases to zero, and they saved what they estimate to be 1,500 lives and nearly $200 million. So you see the power of a checklist. Well, the Apostle Paul gives us a checklist as well, a checklist that has been given to us to help us in our walk with God. And here is the checklist. It's found in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, and it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such thing there is no law. Last week, I invited you to memorize these verses. How many memorized them? Excellent. And how many are still memorizing them? Excellent. And if you haven't started it yet, we invite you to, to do that. The other thing I asked you to do to do is to read the book of Galatians, 
where we find this list. Now, some of you will remember that just prior to this list of the fruit of the Spirit is a list of all the fruit of the flesh, all the, the sinful uh, ways that, that we sometimes function as, as humans. Well, I want you to be reminded of something here. This fruit in our lives is produced by the Spirit. That word fruit is in the singular, and so here's the thing that some of us that maybe would have a hard time uh, understanding, but Paul is saying to us that it's all or nothing. It's all of this is produced in our life or, or not. And so we have this checklist to see if something is missing. And here's what I want everybody to understand. If something is missing, then that is a great big red flag being waved in your face that you need to stop whatever you're doing and figure out why you don't have this fruit, why there's something missing from the list. And again, remember that, that as the Spirit of God is at work in us, he produces in us these attributes. Well, today we're looking at joy. And joy is mentioned some 70 times in the New Testament. And it's a happiness, folks, that comes to us whenever we think of the gospel. And I'll explain to you, I'll take that apart for you so that you can understand what I'm saying to you. But basically, joy comes to us whenever, remember what, whenever we remember what Jesus has done for us. There have been many studies and many books written on how you can be happy. But I'm not talking about the happiness that we can, we can generate or manufacture ourselves. I'm talking to you about a happiness or a joy that comes from heaven. The joy we're talking about is a supernatural joy, a supernatural happiness. And that's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit that I produce. It's not the fruit that you produce. It's the fruit that the Spirit produces in you. So what do we know? We know that joy comes to us from what Christ has done on the cross. This is what we mean by joy coming to us through the gospel. And so, do you know, every day... I thank God for what he's done for me. I thank God every day that he has given me his, his son, Jesus Christ. I thank God every day that I have a savior. Now, I know that some of you are thinking, well, Pastor Allen, wouldn't that kind of get boring to just constantly be saying the same thing every day? Wouldn't it become mechanical? Uh, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it just sort of just be, a, be sort of an empty-minded sort of uh, uh, mantra that we repeat without really thinking about it? Well, that would be true, except that there's one thing wrong, and that is, is that every day we sin. Did you hear that? Every day, you and I sin. Every day, we fall short of the glory of God. And so every day, we depend on Jesus Christ and his work at the cross for us. And this is why it never gets old. This is why we never get tired of giving God thanks. This is why every day it's easy to come to the throne of God and say, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you that you have forgiven me of my sin. Thank you that you've washed my sin away. Thank you that I have received Christ's righteousness. Now, this never gets old. This, you never get tired of saying this. In fact, if you go through the book of Revelation, what do you find? Lo and behold, what are the elders and the angels doing around the throne of God? They're rejoicing 
in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the theme. This ought to be the theme of all worship. If you are not giving God thanks for what he has done for us through Christ, then you're not worshiping. You're just singing songs. And for many churches, that's what it is. It's just like coming to a great big camp out around the campfire, and we're singing our songs, Kumbaya, and all the rest of these things, and it doesn't penetrate our hearts. But the kind of worship that penetrates our hearts is a worship that is based on what Jesus Christ has done for us at the cross. And that, my friends, is what generates in you that sense of joy. So if you're lacking joy in your life, that's a big red flag that you need to stop whatever you're doing and reconsider where, you're, where you stand spiritually. Do you appreciate and are you thankful, are you grateful for what Christ has done for you? Now, some of you may be here today saying, well, just Pastor Allen, if you could just remind me quickly of what Christ has done for me. Well, let me just quickly tell you the simple message, the simple gospel message. The first thing is that God sent Jesus Christ into this world to live for us. Now, you thought I was going to say he came to die for us. Well, he did come to die for us, but first he came to live for us. The reason that Jesus Christ was able to be the sacrifice on the cross is because he lived a perfect life. That's why you can't die for your own sins, because you, you are not a perfect sacrifice. But Jesus was able to live the law perfectly. Did you get that? Nobody else can do it. Nobody else has ever done it. Only Jesus was able to fulfill the demands of the law of God, so that he alone was able then to die on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. Did you get that? It's very important that you understand that. It could be just any person. I couldn't say, well, hey, God, I'll volunteer to die for everybody. And you'd say, well, at Alan Duncan, boy, what a special guy. Problem is, is that I'm not good enough to die for your sins, let alone my own sin. But there is somebody who was perfect. His name is Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb. And this is why you read in the Old Testament about the sacrifices that were being offered to God. It had to be a perfect Lamb, because only the perfect Lamb. And again, that was a shadow of the coming of Jesus Christ. That foretold, it prophesied the coming of Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, who would die for our sins. It's important that you understand that. This is the gospel. So that Jesus Christ then, he came and he lived for us and then he died for us. And anybody who then puts their faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, that is the person who will be saved. That's the person who is born again. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you on the cross? You have to say, Lord, it's for me that you died. It's for me. I'm the one that needed you to come to this earth, to be born in a manger, and then to go to the cross. It's for me. Have you been able to say that? One or two people are able to say that. We should all be able to say that. Jesus Christ, it was for me. Would you say that with me? Jesus Christ, it was for me. It's not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord. I'm the one standing in need. This is the gospel. So Jesus came, he died for us. If I put my faith in him, I am, 
I am born again, and I belong to him. And what's more, folks, is that because he died for me, I'm free of accusation. Hey, has Satan ever come to you and whispered in your ear and said, oh, you're a failure, you're never going to make it, you should just give it up now? Have you had that happen to you? But Satan still tries that on me, but, but I, uh, I'm mature enough in my faith now that I know exactly what to do. I just point to Jesus Christ. I'm the, I'll never be good enough, but I know somebody who is. And so Satan comes accusing, and I can shut him down right here, right now, by pointing to Christ. I put my faith in Jesus. I don't put my faith in myself. Now, here's the problem. Throughout the centuries, people have put their faith in themselves, in their ability to live a good life, in their ability to fulfill the law. And that's why Paul says, against the fruit of the Spirit, there is no law. We shut the law down. The law can't accuse us anymore. It can't condemn us or judge us. Why? Because we put our faith in somebody who was able to fulfill the law. So I stopped trying in my own power, in my own ability. I don't even look at that list of fruit and think to myself, hey, I got I to somehow work on being more kind, be more, be more kind, be more kind. Tie a string around my finger, remind myself, be more kind. I can't do it. And I've heard people say that that's what they're trying to do. And I've heard people say, well, you know, God must really be trying to teach me patience because he's putting me behind the slowest drivers in Winnipeg. That's not how it works. No, listen. God begins his work in us. And by his spirit, he begins to produce this fruit in us. I have watched young men and young women Give up on God because they said it's just too difficult. I can't do it. Have you? Maybe that's you here today. Maybe that's what you've experienced. I've tried so hard. I just can't live this Christian life. The requirements are just too difficult. I can't, I can't live up to all the rules and regulations. Well, the question is this. Who can? I've been in the ministry for 40 years. I, 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 I'm paid to be good. <laughs> I still can't do it. But I've watched young people especially. They, they are tempted, they fall into sin, and then they think, well, I may as well give up because I can't live this life anyways. Folks, it's precisely at that moment when you have sinned, when you have fallen short of the glory of God, that you do not run from God, but you run to God and say, God, I need Jesus. Hallelujah. That's the power of Almighty God. So you don't, if you failed, you're failing God, you've sinned, don't run away from God, run to him. What did Adam and Eve do when they sinned? They went and hid from God. That's exactly the wrong thing to do. Don't go and hide from God, run to God and repent and say, God, I'm sorry, forgive me. May your spirit work in me and make me self-controlled, make me faithful, make me good. See, this is, this is what true Christianity is. Remember my dad saying that. He said a little kid tried to keep all the rules, and he says it was too difficult, so he just gave up. Shame on us ministers, on us pastors, for failing to teach people that, that the goodness of God, the gentleness of God, the self-control of God, the, it comes from the Spirit, not from self. You say, Pastor Allen, is this a license to sin? Oh, God forbid, don't you? You can't think that. But what you do realize is that greater is he that is in me 
than he that is in the world. And we recognize that his spirit dwelling in me is able to make me live the life he wants me to live. Now, here's the good news, folks, is that we are all a work in progress. Would everybody agree with that? Yeah, some people say, no, I'm already there. I heard somebody say that. I'm, I'm actually, I've never sinned. I've, since I became a Christian, I never sinned. Well, there, you, you've, you've sinned just in saying that. You've just told a lie. If after you became a Christian, you didn't sin, there'd be no need to pray the prayer of Christ who said to pray every day, forgive us our sin as we forgive those who sin against us. That is who we are. That's what we do. So no, we... We, we're not given a license to sin, far be it. Oh, absolutely not. No, no. What, we're, what we've been given, is we, as we put our faith in Christ, we've been given a license to grow in the power of God. For he who began a good work in me is faithful to complete it. Hallelujah. Now, is joy arising in your hearts right now? It should be. That's the whole point of this. And so we're free of accusation. God begins this work. I'm driven, as, as, I, as I sin, as I fall short of the glory of God, I'm driven back to the rock of my salvation. And when I run to Jesus, who is the rock of my salvation, what do I find? I find joy. Because my trust is in him. It's not in myself. Now, it's critical that everybody understand this. You cannot put your trust in yourself, because if you do, you will fail. And so we go on to recognize that the Spirit then bears witness with our spirit. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with my spirit. And he reminds me that though I have failed and that I fail, I have righteousness that comes from Christ. Hallelujah. I had the joy of driving my grandpa and grandma up to, up to Peace River. They got too old to live on their own, in their own home. And so... My aunt found a place for them in Peace River with her. And, uh, and I had a, just a tremendous time driving with them all the way up to uh, Peace River. And that's a, it was a couple days. I think we did it over three days. And I remember my, my grandmother, she kept saying, uh, when are we going to be home? <laughs> when are we going to be home? And that was like every, every 20 minutes or so for three days. And... Uh, and uh, she was starting to lose it a little bit. But when it came to talking about the things of God, all of a sudden she, she was lucid. She, she was so sharp, so clear. And we would have times of prayer together in the car, times of, of, of just rejoicing in the Lord. And my grandmother would start speaking in tongues, and, and uh, she would be talking about how God had saved her and saved her children and my grandfather, he's got tears streaming down his cheeks. I mean, we had a glorious time. But that was my experience with Grandpa and Grandma Duncalf. I'd go to their place for lunch, and Grandpa would say to me, Alan, would you like to pray? And so I begin to pray, and my grandfather starts laughing and weeping, and he's rejoicing. Where is this joy coming from? And I said to my grandpa, like, why are you crying? He says, I'm rejoicing in what Christ has done in your life, in the life of my grandson. I'm rejoicing what God has done in my life. And so when my grandpa was, was in his own room up in Hay River, uh, it was reported to us that one day a nurse came into his room and found him 
weeping. And she was all concerned and worried about Grandpa. What's wrong? She, Mr. Duncalf, are you okay? Why are you weeping? It's going to be okay. Don't worry. And my grandpa, being my grandpa, he, that would make him laugh. And he said, I'm, I'm not crying because I'm sad. I am crying for joy. I belong to Jesus. Now, when you're in your 90s, folks, you know that every day is a gift, and you know that tomorrow may be your last day. Tomorrow may be the day that you're going to see Jesus. And he was ready to see Christ. He knew Christ. He rejoiced in Christ because Christ had saved him, a sinner. I thank God for my heritage. That's what I grew up with. And my grandmother, she's constantly saying, well, I'm... When can I go home? I'm ready to go home. It got to the point where we didn't know quite what she meant. Did she mean go back to 252 Green Avenue or go home to heaven? Well, she meant go home to heaven. She had no interest in being in this world anymore. Now, how does a person come to that place where they say, I'm ready to die. I'd like to die. I'm happy about it. To live is Christ and to die is gain. To live and this world is to be absent from the Lord. Where does she get this joy from? She gets it from Jesus Christ himself. Blaise Pascal, philosopher and, and mathematician. He says, being unable to cure death, wretchedness, and ignorance, men have decided in order to be happy not to talk about or think about such things. Isn't that what we do? We, we don't even want to call it death. We like to call we, he passed away. He's, he's, he's passed on. We don't, we don't want to say he died. He's dead. She's dead. This is the problem with us. We don't know Christ. We don't want to face such things. Grandma, my grandma, she had no problem facing. She's ready to go anytime. Where does she get this joy from? Where does she get this peace from? Well, it comes from the Spirit because her heart's been made right with God. So we understand that Christian joy allows us to face all these things. I can face death. I can face ignorance. I can face wretchedness. It's not a problem. Why? Because my joy is not based on things that are subjective, based on my feelings. My joy is based on what is, what is an objective reality. And what is the objective reality? that whoever puts their faith in Jesus Christ will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's where your joy comes from. Your joy comes from knowing that, you're, that your life has been made right with God through Christ. And even when you sin, even when you fall short, you can come back into his presence through Jesus Christ. And so every morning when I pray the Lord's Prayer, I begin, my Father in heaven, and I stop right there because I recognize that I am able to come into the very throne room of God. When, if you talk to any Jew about heaven, they will understand that you're talking about the throne room of God, and that's what it is. Our Father in your throne room, I can come to your throne of grace at any time because I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what the writer of Hebrews says, come boldly, come confidently to the throne of grace. And that's what I do every morning, even though I'm a sinner and constantly in need of God's grace. I can come to God. I can come to him as I am. 
and he will hear me. And the reason he will hear me is because I've put my faith in his son, Jesus Christ. This is what gives me joy, and it gives me joy every morning. I'm celebrating and rejoicing every morning in what Christ has done for me. And that's why I walk in joy. I have joy in my life. Do you have joy in your life? Maybe if you don't have joy, maybe it's because you are forgetting where your joy comes from. It comes to you as the Spirit reminds you that you belong to God, that you're part of his family, that he is your father. You are his son. You are his daughter. Read Romans chapter 8 if you, want to, if you just want to get encouraged in that fact. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Satan will come along and whisper in your ear, tell you you're a sinner, you're wicked, you're evil, you're no good, you'll never make it as a Christian, you're a, you're a loser, and on and on he goes. And you just tell him to shut up in the name of Jesus because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is where your joy comes from. Your joy does not come from yourself. It comes from the realization that my sins are forgiven that the Lord is on my side. I am more than a conqueror through Christ. When I die, I go to heaven. And this is not wishful thinking, but I know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. And I hear people say, to, I say, are you ready to meet the Lord? Well, I sure hope so. Well, what do you mean you hope so? That just makes my heart just flutter a little bit, lose a, lose a beat or two. If you put your faith in Christ, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, you die today, you're going right to heaven. You're going right into the bosom of Jesus Christ himself to that thief that hung on the cross beside him. <laughs> that thief who didn't get a chance to practice any of the fruit of the Spirit, didn't get a chance to practice any of the law, didn't keep any rules, any laws, didn't do anything, but put his faith in Christ and Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, our entrance into the kingdom of God has nothing to do with our ability or with our good works. It's constantly and totally and only in the power of the Spirit of God. You put your faith in him and you're home safe. Now, here's what I know. If you've done that, if you put your faith in Christ, he begins to produce this fruit in your life. That's the evidence that you're converted, that you're born again. So as you go through that checklist, I run through this checklist constantly. I'm constantly doing this on a regular basis. Is there anything missing? Is there anything missing? If there's something missing, that's the thing I need to get before the Lord and say, okay, God, I know something's not right. I'm, I don't want to leave your presence till we get this sorted out. Has anybody ever done that? You don't put your hand up. But this is what we do. We want to see where we're at. We want to see if, in fact, we are in the Spirit, if we're walking in step with the Spirit. This is what Romans 8 is all about. Keeping in step with the Spirit. This is what it means to be a Christian. In 1563, Prince Frederick III of Germany commissioned what's called the Heidelberg Confession. And he, what he did is he just came up with a list of questions that the normal, a normal Christian would have, and then he gave the theological answers to these questions. So the very first question in the Heidelberg Catechism is this. What is your only comfort in life and death? What's your only comfort? What's your only joy in life and death? Well, here's his answer. That I'm not my own, 
So did everybody get that? You're not your own. You don't get to do whatever you want. You're keeping in step with the Spirit so that this fruit of the Spirit is evidenced in your life. So I'm not my own, but I belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Furthermore, what brings me comfort in life and death? That Christ has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me from, free from all the powers of the devil. Is this good news? Does it bring joy to your heart? What is your only comfort in life and death? He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, look at this, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all the things must work together for my salvation. Hallelujah. You've, ever, you've heard the verse, all things work together for good, those who love God and who are called according to his purposes. We have, we have stopped there, and you've heard me say this before, and we believe that that means that God's going to give me whatever I want. That's the, what the good is. But that's not the good that, John, that Paul's talking about in Romans 8. Because he goes on to say that God uses all things to get, works all things together for good for my sake, so that I will be what? Conformed to the image of Christ. And this is, this is our comfort in life and in death. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. This is the power of Almighty God at work in our lives. Folks, we're talking about the grace of God at work in us. Now, a lot of people don't know what grace is. It's, it's kind, of a, kind of a vague term. Let me help you try to understand it. Some of you may have heard this definition, that the grace of God is God's undeserved love given to us. But I'm going to tell you it's far more than that. God's grace is his enabling, his empowering by his spirit. So when God pours out his grace upon us, what is he doing? He's empowering us. He's giving us grace to live the life he's called us to live so that we produce the fruit of the spirit. And we begin to understand that God gives us his grace so that we can serve him and that we can live a life that pleases him, that his grace enables us to grow in our walk with God, grow in our faith, grow in maturity. When we begin to understand that, what happens? It produces gratitude in our hearts. Now watch this. Gratitude always follows God's grace. Whenever you've received God's grace, his empowering, his strength to help you face whatever difficulties you have to face, what's your reaction? It's gratitude. Thank you, Lord. Gratitude is so important that every year we spend the whole month of October just focusing on being a grateful people. So gratitude always follows the outpouring of God's grace. Like, like thunder and lightning. And joy always follows gratitude. So whenever you're expressing gratitude to God for what he's done for you, what happens, friends, is joy begins to well up in your heart, and you find yourself joyful because of what God's doing in your life. Now, watch this. This does not come from, from earth. It comes from heaven. It's supernatural joy, supernatural joy that comes to us from the realization that God has not forgotten you, that God loves you, that God will not let you fail. God will not let you fall. Wow. That, my friends is what true joy is. Now, 
the, the psalmist understood this. Look, look what he says. He says, but this is Psalm 95, 1 to 3, but oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to whom? The rock of our salvation. Do you see the joy is the fruit of understanding that God is a God of our salvation. That's where the joy comes from. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Folks, this is your God. This is the one you serve. There is no power on heaven or on earth that can separate us from the love of God. That's what Paul tells us at the end of Romans 8. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And so our hearts are full of joy because we're celebrating, we're rejoicing in the rock of our salvation. Who is the rock of our salvation? It's Jesus Christ. This is what brings us joy. Psalm 16, verse 11, it says, you make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Folks, listen to me. This world cannot give us the joy that only God can give us. This world, the joy that this world gives is fleeting. In fact, it's disappointing. In fact, we all fall, watch this, we all fall into the error of trying to get joy from the things of this world. Don't we do that? Sure we do. Israel knew the power of Almighty God leading, leading her and guiding her, led her out of Egypt. God sent the plagues for the sake of his people. He opened the Red Sea for the sake of his people so that they could pass through. For the sake of his people, he caused the Red Sea to close. For the sake of his people, he provided manna from heaven. He provided food for them all the way through the wilderness. And do you know that the children of Israel were wearing 40-year-old shoes that never wore out? That's what the Bible says. That's how God provided and cared for his people. Wow. But what happened is Israel forgot God. Isn't that what we do sometimes? The minute you forget God, my friends, you lose your joy. Here's what, here's what Jeremiah says. He says, be appalled, O heaven, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, and secondly, they've forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and secondly, they have hewed out of cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What's, what's Jeremiah saying here? You know what a cistern is? It's a tank that holds water. The children of Israel came to the place where they said, no, we're not going to trust God anymore. We're not going to depend on him to meet our needs. We're going to take care of ourselves, God. Thank you very much. We're going to make our own cisterns. We're not going to pray and ask God to provide rain for us. We're going to commit, we're going to dig up these cisterns, and we're going to take care of ourselves. That's the sign of backsliding in your life. And I'm going to tell you, at the point that you start trying to, trying to find joy on your own, in your own wisdom, in your own strength, in your own ability, that's the day that joy is gone. That's the day that you have backslidden. If you're la- lacking joy in your life, there's a good chance that you've backslidden. And hence, this is the importance of the checklist. You've got to go through that checklist. If you don't have joy, there's a good chance that you've backslidden and you've forgotten 
who your God is. You've forgotten who your Savior is. You've forgotten the rock of your salvation. So what do we do in order to find joy? Well, folks, can I just remind you that for those who are not Christians, happiness depends on what happens. Did you get that? Happiness depends on what happens. You know that the root word of happiness and happen, happens, is the word, the Latin word hap, which means chance. It's all up to chance. And this is the way most people live their lives. They, they just cross their fingers and they hope everything will turn out well. And we say to them, well, good luck. I hope, I think, hope everything goes well for you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, please don't ever use the words good luck. Because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to know your life does not depend on chance. It doesn't depend on luck. You are serving a sovereign God, sovereign over everything, and your life is safe and firm and solidly in the palm of God's hand. Hallelujah. Your future is in his hands. He knows what you need. He knows exactly who you are, where you're at, what you're, what you're up to. And so those who don't have Christ, what do they do? Is they try to find happiness and joy in their own. You can go online anytime and you can, you can punch into the search bar uh, how to be happy. I found one article, 27 Habits to Help You Live a Happier Life, which I'm not going to share with you. Because it's all nonsense. Get a project. Get a hobby. Keep busy. Go shopping. Buy new toys, get new clothes, get drunk, get sex, get to a party, get stoned. Or if you're sophisticated, too sophisticated for that sort of thing, well, you're going to set goals for yourself, aren't you? And you're going to have a vision, and you're going to have dreams, and you're going to rejoice in your discipline. But the problem is this. You are mortal. You fail. You fall short. And at some point, at some place along the line, your body's going to fail your mind is going to fail, you're going to fail. But thanks be to God, our hope is in Jesus Christ, who never, ever fails. Hallelujah. This is where our joy comes from. So don't rejoice in your plans, in your goals, in your visions and dreams. Rejoice in Jesus Christ and what he will accomplish in your life. He who began a good work is faithful to complete it. And that's what gives us joy today. Wow. It's not what the world tells us. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Weight of Glory, he says this, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with alcohol and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Are we crazy? Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what it, would, what it means to go on a vacation to the ocean. Lewis says we're far too easily pleased. We settle for scraps rather than settling for Jesus Christ, who is the real thing. Your joy today comes from Christ, comes through his spirit. And if you go through the checklist and you find that joy is missing in your life, you need to cry out to Jesus, and you need to ask God to forgive you of your sin. 
Jeremiah says to Israel in Jeremiah 18, 15, but my people have forgotten me. They make offerings to false gods. The idols made them stumble in their ways in the ancient roads and to walk into side roads and not the highway. <laughs> hey, folks, we're kings, the king's kids. We're meant to march on his highway and to enjoy his joy and to know fulfillment and contentment that only comes from him. But Jeremiah reminds us that the people have forgotten gotten God, and that's what we do. The minute you forget God is the minute, my friends, that you start getting into trouble. Jeremiah says to the children of Israel, have you forgot how God delivered you from Egypt? Have you forgotten how God met your needs? Have you forgotten that God is, is the only answer to the deepest longings of your heart? Have you forgotten that God has provided you with everything that you need? Folks, this is why Jesus calls us to celebrate the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do today. Jesus says to us, this cup is a new covenant in in my blood, do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Listen, my friends, when we take communion today, we are celebrating the fact that we are made right with God through Jesus Christ. We don't, we don't celebrate our own ability, our own strength, or our own wisdom. We celebrate the power of Almighty God in our lives. And that's why we take communion today. Some of you will remember Leonard McGale. Remember one service, we were getting ready to take communion together. And we had communion, but he didn't come and take it. And I came up to him after, I said, Leonard, what happened? Why didn't you join in communion with us? And he said, because I feel like I failed God. I feel like I'm too great a sinner. And I said, Leonard, communion is for sinners. It's not for perfect people. It's not for people who never mess up. It's not for people who never make mistakes. Communion is for sinners. Every time you take communion, what you're doing is you're proclaiming, not just to the world, but you're proclaiming to yourself. Jesus Christ has washed away your sin. Jesus Christ has made it possible for you to come to the throne of God. Jesus Christ has saved you, and you belong to him. And that's what we proclaim. But too many of us, we listen to the voice of Satan, the accuser, who wants to come and take you through all the garbage cans of your sins of yesterday and your past, and he wants to rob you of your joy. Today, as we take communion, my prayer is your heart will be full of joy, not because you live a perfect life, but because Jesus Christ lives a perfect life and you put your faith in him. So we're going to take a moment and pray right now. Father, as we come into your presence and prepare our hearts for communion this morning, help us to remember, Lord, that we lose our joy by forgetting what we should remember and by remembering what we should forget. God, restore to us the joy of our salvation as we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. And help us now to forget our sin. 
Because your word tells us as far as the east is from the, from the west, so far have you removed our sin from us. Father, we thank you that we, through Christ, are more than conquerors. And so, Father, we commit ourselves to you this morning as we prepare to take communion, fill our hearts with joy once again. We pray that in Jesus' name. Would you just take a moment right now just to, just to take some time in God's presence and confess your sin to the Lord. If there's sin in your heart, sin in your life, maybe resentment, hurts, bad attitudes, bring it all to the Lord right now. In fact, if you've memorized the fruit of the Spirit, just run through that in your mind. And if there's something missing, let the Spirit of God reveal it to you so that you may repent of your sin and find the joy of the Lord. ask everybody just to hold off and pulling the film off your communion cups. We'll do it all together at the same time. Again, this is for sinners today. And our, my prayer is that your heart will be filled to overflowing with joy as you realize that Jesus died for you. He died for me. He died for us. Father, as we come now to your table, we ask that you would reveal to us anything in our life that is, is not right, and that we would be quick to confess our sin, and that you give us the grace, the power, the ability to repent and to turn from our sinful ways. And we thank you, O oh God, that we can depend on your work in our hearts, because your word says that if anyone confesses his sins, you are faithful and just to forgive him and cleanse him of all unrighteousness. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread after he had given thanks, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Let's take our wafer and take it together, shall we? And Father, we thank you today that the blood of Jesus washes away our sin. All who put their faith in Christ will never be put to shame. Everyone who puts their faith in Christ will know the cleansing of their sin and will know the joy of the Lord, the joy of our salvation. 
God, we pray this morning that your joy would arise in our hearts. If there are any here today struggling with depression, struggling with, with feelings of melancholy and sorrow and guilt, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that you would wash these things away, helping us to see today that we are made righteous. We are declared right with you because of what Jesus has done. And so we give you the glory and the praise. Let's take the cup together, shall we? Let's stand together, please. Father, thank you this morning for the reminder that joy, the joy of the Christian comes from our salvation. It comes from knowing that that the gospel has been applied to our hearts and lives. Lord, we thank you today that our sins are washed away. We thank you today, Lord, that this is a daily reality, just something that happens once, but it's something that we can know on a daily basis. So, Father, we do pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And we thank you, O God, that your spirit is dwelling in us richly and producing in us the fruit of the spirit. So, God, as we go from this place, may we go with the joy unspeakable and full of glory. We thank you today, Lord, that you are transforming us by your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Tell the person beside you, go in the joy of the Lord.